Today's scripture reading is from John 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is your first time, or even if you're, you know, you've been coming for a week or two, or even if you've been coming for years. Um, maybe it would be helpful for me to let you know that this morning we are ending or closing, getting close to ending a, a sermon series that we've been in. It is a visioning series because we're a, a relatively new church in some ways and we are trying to figure out what kind of church God wants us to be. And so what we've been doing is we have been looking through the Bible at different passages which have a kind of a botanical theme to them. And uh, we've been we've been studying growth because we want to be a church, I think. <clears throat> and I think God is calling us to be a church. And I, I'm getting the sense from us that we want to be a church where people can encounter Jesus Christ, but then also grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we've been looking at different ideas. We've been looking at being rooted, being rooted, rooted in the word of God, rooted in love. You know, because if you're a tree, it's kind of important to be rooted, right? It's important, but it's not what's most important. We've also been looking at this idea of growing and, and, and growing in grace. And if you're a tree, it's pretty important that you grow, right? That's important, but it's not most important. There's something that's actually more important than being rooted as important as that is, and growing as vital as that is. And it's this, fruitfulness. God wants fruit. He wants much fruit. <laughs> he wants a lot of fruit. And, uh, you know, years ago in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, um, God called Israel his vine. And God did everything for Israel to bear good fruit. But Israel didn't bear good fruit. Israel bore terrible fruit. Instead of producing beautiful, lush, delicious fruit, it produced terrible fruit, injustice, oppression, hostility. And, and as, a, as a vine, Israel was a complete failure. And I'm not... We're not picking on Israel this morning. It's anyone. It's any human being. We, we just, we have this tendency in us to bear bad fruit. 
And what is astounding about our passage is that Jesus here stands up and says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. You see, here's, here's how true fruit, the best fruit, the fruit that, that God wants is, is going to come into existence. It's got to be through Jesus Christ. And Jesus later in this passage and elsewhere defines that fruit as, as love. That, that when we are connected to the vine, that we will experience, the world will experience his love. And the kind of love where we will actually lay down our lives for one another, just the way that Christ laid down his life for us. And God wants that kind of fruit. He wants much of that fruit. And he will do everything that is necessary for you to bear that kind of fruit. What things? Well, two things, actually. We'll see two things in our passage that God does to guarantee that this fruit actually comes into existence. And then there's one thing in our passage, and we'll see this, that he wants you to do. And this is absolutely necessary for us to bear fruit. And we want to be a church that bears much fruit. So, what are these things? The first two things that we see that God does, they're right there in verse 2. You can look down your bulletins and find them. The first thing he does is this. He takes away fruitless branches. Do you see that? Later in verse 6, he'll go on and he'll expand. He'll say, the Father takes away these fruitless branches. He gathers them up. He throws them into the pile and sets them on fire, and they burn. Now, the question, and I want you to work through this with me, okay? Let's work together. Who are these branches, these fruitless branches that are in the tree that God the Father, the vine dresser, takes away and throws away and burns? Who are these people? Are they Christians? Are they, are they true branches? And the answer to that question is no. No. You, you cannot be a true branch. You, you cannot be organically connected to Christ. You, you, cannot, you cannot believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and be a true Christian, a true branch, and ever be removed. And Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, goes to great length to make this point clear over and over again. I'll give you a sample. From John chapter 6, verse 39 to 40, hear this. This is what Jesus says. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast away. I give eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from my hand. Did you hear that? If you are truly organically connected to the vine, if you are trusting in Jesus savingly, you will never be removed. That's what Jesus teaches here. So who are these branches? Who are these branches who are in the vine, who the vine dresser removes? And here I think we have to look at the context of this passage. Where is Jesus when he says these things? This is Thursday night. It is the night before Friday, before his crucifixion. He is 
in a second story building. He's in an upper room and he is with his disciples, all 12 of his disciples, and they are eating a Passover meal. All 12 disciples are there. One of them is a false disciple. One of them is like a devil. Judas Iscariot. You know, he attached himself to Jesus Christ early on, and when he discovered that Jesus Christ was not going to be the kind of Savior that he wanted, the kind of Savior that would give him wealth and and popularity and, and prestige, when he discovered that Jesus Christ was going to be crucified or he'd just go nowhere, he just he betrayed him. He sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, and Jesus knew it. And that night in that upper room, he said to Judas, Judas, what you're about to do, do it quickly. And he dismissed him into the night. Judas never repented. Judas never believed in Christ in a saving way. And the word of God in Acts chapter 1 tells us what his fate was. It says that he went to his own place, which means this. He left this earth and went into a Christless eternity. He went into an eternity where he knew nothing of the love, but only the judgment of God, which the Bible calls hell. The sad story of the vine, friends, and you have to hear this, is that many people attach themselves to the vine but they're only superficially attached. They're not organically attached. Um, The church and Jesus Christ really isn't the thing that captures their hearts. And the church and Christ are useful as long as they're useful. But if bad things happen, if problems come, if hard times come, then, then what does that mean? Because I thought that being a Christian meant that my life would be stress-free. Or, or, or what about the inconvenience that Jesus poses in a person's life when he says, follow me? Or that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And many people get to a point where they say, you know what, enough. And they leave. In John chapter 6, verse 66, it says from that point onwards that many of Jesus' disciples followed him no longer. They were never attached organically. They never had saving faith. And they were removed. I have seen this happen over the years. I have seen people who kind of superficially attach themselves to Christ. But when hard times come, they just, they leave. And I've got to be honest, it's a heartbreaking thing. It's a heartbreaking thing. I mean, it's a heartbreaking thing to be in the vine and side by side a branch, and then the branch just leaves. And I think we have to pause here for a second. And not be cavalier and skip on. This, my friends, should break our heart into a million pieces.
It is, it is a terrible thing to watch people walk away. And walk away from Jesus Christ who alone is the Savior of the world. And who alone is the true vine. I struggle. I struggle with this passage in some ways because Jesus is speaking so categorically about removing branches that aren't bearing fruit. And I hope there's a qualification. You know, so many times I see Jesus make categorical statements and then elsewhere he makes qualifications. And I hope... Oh my, oh God, I hope there's a qualification there. I'll tell you why, because I have a son who grew up in the church, who was baptized, who made a profession of faith, and is right now not walking with the Lord. He's walking with Allah. And I don't want his fate to be what I see here in this passage. And I hope that there is grace. There's got to be grace. There's got to be grace to find people like that and bring them back and to, and to connect them savingly to the vine. It's my own story. I grew up in the church. I was baptized. I would have called myself a Christian, but there was no fruit in my life. I wasn't really connected. And 20 years of age, God broke into my life in grace. And he took me and he grafted me into that vine. And so on the one hand, I think we have to stop and just be sobered by what we see here in this text and allow it to speak to us. But at the same time, to just move our hearts with hope to pray for these people. And can we not be a church that is so moved by what we see here and people leaving leaving Christ and pray God bring them back and put them in the vine I believe that's true now there's this other part and I don't know how to segue this without just saying there's, a, there's another part to this work because he doesn't just remove the branches that are fruitless. He actually prunes the fruitful branches. Yes. I, I'll be honest. I don't know much about first century vine working. I, I don't know a lot about that. I tried to find it, but it was 2,000 years ago. I don't know. Um, I do know that a vine dresser back in that day would have a knife, a pruning knife, and they would go to the... The vine, and they would start cutting back things, whatever was dead, whatever was disease, whatever was unnecessary, and would just prune it back. In fact, if it's true, and it might be, he may have even just like chopped part of the whole thing back, just because they do that, you know. And it's it's kind of hard to watch, to be honest. It is. I, I've watched my wife prune the trees in the backyard, and it's uh, it's hard to watch. For me, it is. And she goes up there with the clippers and the um, the whatevers, 
And um, she starts going at these trees. And I've walked outside. Now, Wendy, you're killing the tree. <laughs> you're killing it. She goes, no, yeah, I'm not killing the tree. I, yes, you are. It's right there. Half of the tree is on the ground. I can see it. And you're like, no, I have to do this for the thing to flourish. And I'm like, okay. Right? Okay. It, it, honestly, this is, it, this is hard. It's not easy. It's painful. Pruning is. But the father has to do that. Why? Because he wants fruit. He wants much fruit in our lives. And the way to get fruit is to prune you. To take away whatever is disease, whatever is getting in the way of your flourishing, whatever is getting in the way of your fruitfulness, whatever might be unnecessary, he will take it away. He will remove it so that you bear much fruit. Right? I know this to be true. And I've said it before, and I'll use this again because it's gold. Um, I had a stroke about seven years ago. I had a stroke. And, I, you know, before my stroke, I think I was you know, in pretty good shape, and I was, you know, a lot of things going for me. Um, but in God's mercy, he decided to just allow me to have a stroke. And part of my brain died. It did. It died in the back of my head it died and it you know that's kind of the area that affects your sight that's kind of important that lobe right that occipital lobe you you want that you want that in good shape you want all your lobes to be in good shape but you want that one that and it just a quarter of my vision just went it's gone and reading is tough i have notes but they're kind of useless because i can't look down and pull stuff up i can't lock into words they kind of jump around a bit, and I find it helpful to know how to read and be able to read as a preacher. i got to say that. And, man, dizziness and fatigue is a daily companion and a constant friend in my life. And seven years ago, God just took my health and just allowed it to go. And I think he did it. And, I mean, I don't know for sure. I mean... You know, why does God do anything? There are probably like a thousand reasons. But I believe this to be true. And that means something. I think the thing I struggle with more than anything is independence. And there, there are reasons why I'm independent. I, you know, I can talk about things that have happened in my life that have shaped me and the choices I've made to, and the promises and the covenants I've made with myself to be my own man and not need anyone. I don't know if that sounds familiar. Uh, dependence. You know, God decided, I think, that he wanted me to be dependent on him in a way I had never known, and so he took something. He took a lot from me, actually. And, man, I just find myself having to depend on him in ways I have never had to depend on him. And I find myself depending on people in ways I've never depended on people. And I believe this, that, that God did not come with that knife because he was angry. Have you ever seen an angry vine dresser? That's not the way they are. They don't walk around the vine furious with the thing. They just carefully, lovingly clip and cut, clip and cut, 
Why? Because they want fruit. God took away part of my brain because he loves me and because he wants to bear fruit in me and through me. My stroke was for my sake and yours. Because I need to be a man who knows what it is to depend on his God. So that you see God and not me. So that his power will be made manifest in my weakness. I won't lie, it hurts. I won't lie, it's with me for the rest of my life. I don't know how long I get to live, but I got a few more years and I am living in this. But I'll tell you this, friend. If I could go back again and have a choice, stroke or no stroke, I would totally take the stroke. And you know what? Tim Keller said, and I can't quote it perfectly. Of course I can't quote it perfectly. But if you could just see your life through God's eyes and what he is doing and the fruit he's going to make or produce in your life, you would thank him for everything he takes away in your life. Because here's the strange math with God. Every taking is a giving. Every loss is a giving. He wants fruit. And he's going to have fruit. And it's going to be beautiful. Hard as heck right now. Hard as heck. But man, the fruit's coming. He was going to have his fruit. Well, we have to move on. Because there's something that you have to do. There's something that I have to do. And that is this. It's right there. And Jesus says it over and over and over again. And that is this. Abide. Abide. And that word means stay. That, that word means don't leave. That, that word means continue. And Jesus is saying to you, you true branch, you need to continue and never stop and never quit and never leave. And this is the message of the New Testament. Jesus said that he who endures to the end will be saved. In James chapter 1, verse 12, blessed are those who endure trial, for once they have overcome, they will receive the crown of life to those that God has promised, to those he loves that he has promised this crown. We, we have to keep abiding. Because abiding is how we're going to be able to bear fruit in our lives. We, we've, we've got to be connected to Christ the life-giving Christ, because that's how the fruit comes. We, we have to abide. And as we abide, as we abide, you know, there are some beautiful results that will come as a result of the abiding. And here's one, greater fruitfulness. Verse 5, however, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Those who are abiding, those who are continuing, those who are remaining connected to Christ, there will be fruit. The fruit will come. He will change you. He will change your heart. He's, he's not into like behavior modification. He wants to change your heart, and he will. He will do that. He will change your heart from the inside out, and you will, you will automatically and naturally, organically bear fruit. It will spill out into the world. I'm sorry. It's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it if you're in Christ. <laughs> it's beautiful. 
It's the law of connection. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, For we are, you are, Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, if you're in Christ, if you're connected, you're going to bear fruit. The Spirit of God in you will produce the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. It's coming. A second result. Greater answer to prayer. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I know that some of you are going, great, I love that verse. <laughs> I could, whatever I want, pray. No, no. It's not an unqualified promise, okay? He's not saying, if you want a million bucks, if you want the Maserati, if you want, what do you want? Just pray and you'll get it. That's, that's not what he's saying. That's stupid, Okay, that's a stupid thing to think. And I'll tell you why, because the context, okay, what's the context of this passage? What is Jesus talking about in this passage? Fruit. He wants fruit, right? So I think logically that whatever means fruit, it means whatever you pray for regarding fruit, he will give to you. He's not promising that everything that we pray will get. That's not the prayer <laughs> or the promise that's being given here. Okay? I, I once put an offer on a house back in a day when, when I could afford to put an offer on a house. And I don't know if that day exists. It probably doesn't for many, but I did. And I just, I was so sure I was going to get this house. And I believed that God was going to give it to me. I didn't get it. I missed it by $100,000 in a bidding war. And I was like, what is that? Well, I guess I don't get everything I want. But here Jesus says, you'll get this. What will you get? Fruit. God will produce fruit in you. He will produce love in you as you are connected to the source of love. And it will spill out into the world around you. And it will absolutely positively happen. That's the promise. But check this out. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And there's the key, right? Because as we abide and we let his word abide in us, it's going to guide our prayers. It's going to shape our prayers. It's going to change our hearts regarding what we pray. It will, it will strengthen our faith to be able to pray whatever we pray. It's going to change us. And you know what, Grace West? Whatever kind of church that God's calling us to be, we got to be this church. A church that is praying. And abiding. A church where the word of God is, is central. Where it's shaping us. Shaping our prayer life. And so I don't know where this is going to go. We're still trying to figure, figure this out. But one thing is for sure. The word of God has got to be central in what we do here. The gospel has got to be present. Because it's going to change and shape our prayers. And there will be fruit as a result of answer to prayer. Here's a third thing. Greater glory to God. Jesus says that if we abide in him and his word abides in you, whatever we ask, it will be done for us. And he says, by this, God is glorified. By bearing much fruit, God is glorified. And isn't this what we want? Isn't it? At the end of the day, we don't want anything we do here we don't want anything we do to be the result of our own human strength. We don't want any of the glory going to us. We don't want any of that, even like a branch can't boast about the fruit. 
The branch, the branch is just being a branch. It's just bearing fruit because it's connected to the vine. And we want all the glory to go to God. We want God to do something here that cannot be done in human strength. We want God to put so much fruit on these branches, so much love for one another, and so much love for the, the West End, that people are drawn to Jesus Christ and say, how is that happening? That can't be happening except by some greater power, and that power is Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning, church. God wants fruit. God will have fruit. God is going to work in us, and he's going to make us fruitful. We have to abide. <clears throat> we have to be a church that's abiding. And I don't know what that fully means right now. I know we, we have a partial idea of what it means to abide as a church. But I'll be honest, I don't think we're abiding nearly the way that God would have us abide. I don't think that prayer is as prominent in our community as it should be. And we want to change that. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to look like something. Because we have to be a dependent church. We have to be a church that is really connected to an abiding in Christ and where the fruit is coming because we are people who are abiding. And I believe that if we will be that church and if we will seek God and we will seek him in an abiding way, the fruit will come and the fruit will bless you and the fruit will bless the West End. So let's go to God right now. And let's, let's seek the one who alone can give us this fruit. Our Father in heaven, it is our heart's desire, as we have heard the word of God this morning, it is our heart's desire to, to be people, a church, a community that's bearing fruit. And we thank you that you are a God who wants fruit. You want the best for this world. You want the best for us. You want all that is good and all that is righteous, all that is holy, all that is satisfying. You want that. We cannot manufacture this fruit, Father. It can only come as we abide in the vine. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to abide as a community and to abide deeply and to show us how to pray. We pray for prayer. We pray, Father, that we would be so connected that the fruit will just flow and it will be a blessing. And that stories will be created. Stories of receiving this delicious fruit of love and justice and righteousness. And Father, give us patience when you prune us. Help us not to despise your pruning. Help us not to misinterpret your pruning as though you don't like us and are angry with us. 
Father, help us to believe that you prune us because you love fruit and you want more of it. And Father, we pray that you will just do whatever you need to do as the vine dresser. And take what you must. Take it. I know it's dangerous, Father, to pray this, but I'm praying it. Because, Father, there's no way that anything that we could keep would be as good as the fruit you would bear in us through the pruning. Take what you must. And, Father, by doing so, grow us into fruitful people in a church. For your glory. Amen.